So this morning we're doing a different kind of talk for us here at Hillside. Um, We're doing sort of a a little family talk, a marriage talk. Um, The topic for us today is a topic that I really think is for all of us, but but it is for a certain segment specifically. And you may say, I don't even know if I want this kind of talk, but, but I think there's some principles that at the end of the day, they're, they're very helpful for us, whether we're married or single, whether we're newlywed or we've been married for a long, long time. So I've got a few questions to get us started, just to, to make sure we're all tracking, all on the same page, all, all coming at this from the same kind of angle. So how many of you have ever, ever heard of a show called The Bachelor? Raise your hand. Fireside room, raise your hand, although I can't see you. Leave them up for just a second. Even if you've only seen like one rose ceremony. Okay, with your hands raised, do this real quick. Forget everything you've ever seen. It's garbage, bunch of junk. Just forget all of that stuff. Um, How many of you, okay, maybe like the 30, 35 over crowd. How many have ever seen Married with Children? All right, okay, so you too. Friends, the TV show Friends. Okay, just do this on your memory bank. Delete, delete, delete. Take all of that garbage out. Just for a survey, how many of you have been married over 25 years? Wow. Over 35 years. I love it. Anyone that has been married over 50 years? Yes. Woo. Okay, here's the microphone. You guys come up and give this talk now. You are much better equipped to give this talk than I am, I promise you. These are the experts among us. Here's the question. You don't have to answer out loud. Who is your model for marriage? Who influenced you? Because I think the question who influenced us either positively or negatively is very important for us to understand what are our expectations, what are our thoughts, how are we setting ourselves up. And whether single or married, this is an important question because unconsciously we begin to act certain ways, do certain things without thinking. And if we're doing things without thinking and they're not the right things, the marriage can be in trouble. Okay, another question, and I do need you to participate real quick. How many of you have ever been to a wedding where the two people getting married, it was their first marriage? They were clueless, right? They had no idea what they were getting into. They spent all this time and all of this energy to get ready for a ceremony. But probably very little preparation for a life together, right? So they're standing up there, and they're, they're, the dress is beautiful, the ceremony is perfect, but they have no idea for better or for worse and all of its implications on their life, do they? My first wedding that I ever performed was a very, very interesting, memorable, special experience. Now, my, my hope was not to have just a memorable ceremony. I wanted to, in my pre-marriage counseling with this couple, prepare them for a lifetime together. I wanted to talk through questions that would help them establish a healthy marriage. And they were here a few months ago. They were coming through town, so they attended services here. And we got to laugh about just all the things that happened. But I, I said I wanted their ceremony to be memorable and special. I had no idea what I was in for. So this couple comes to get married. I'll have to give you a very long story and make it very short. But, but they finally come. The, the bride walks down the aisle. They're standing before me. 
And it is the first song, so we're just supposed to stand there and stoically listen to this beautiful song being sung. And all of a sudden, the bride leans up to me and she says, Pastor Aaron, we've got a problem. I'm like, we're in front of a few hundred people. What kind of a problem do we have? And she just sort of nods over at him. And, and I look at him in the eyes, and he's just sort of like in la-la land. I'm like, right, hey, hey, what, what's going on, man? He's in la-la land. And, and I notice he begins to shake a little bit, and he's... I'm like, oh gosh. So I just get really close to him. I put one arm under his arm, and I'm thinking, I'll just help him through this part of it. So the song ends, and it's time to start talking. And right when I begin to start talking, he's, boom. <laughs> now, I, I braced it a little bit, but I mean, I, I, we needed a flair for the dramatic, so I let him thump a little bit. So he thumps down, and I'm like, it's my first wedding ever. What do you do? No one in seminary ever said, here's what you do when the groom just passes out. So I'm sitting there, and I'm not kidding. He was gone. He was out. It was probably 10 minutes. I'm not kidding, of just... <laughs> it felt like three hours. And so uh, the mother-in-law comes up, and, and she happens to be a nurse. And so because she's a nurse, I don't question her expertise when she's slapping his face trying to wake him up. And I'm trying not to laugh, but it's pretty good. His brother-in-law is a doctor, and so I know him, and so I'm thinking, okay, the doctor has to know what he's doing, so I'm just going to step back because my pastoral ability doesn't really do anything other than get up in the name of Jesus. <laughs> and I didn't want to do that yet. I, I was saving that one for a few minutes later. And so finally he gets, they, we sit him in a, in a seat for a bit, and, and then we finally say, okay, let's try this. So we get him up. He can walk. I'm thinking, okay, we're making progress. Well, I, I do the beginning of, you know, do you take him? And she's like, yes. And then I ask him, do you take her? And he's just like this. Like, hey, you, do you take her? And then finally I heard a grunt. That's a yes. <laughs> went back to her, asked her the questions, and then went back to him. And he's just stone cold. Hey, do you? Mm. Okay, that's a yes. I'll take that. Well, then it gets to the vows where you actually have to say stuff. And I say to her, repeat after me. So she repeats after me. I take you to be my lawfully wedded husband, blah, blah. I get to him. Okay, repeat after me. I take you. So, okay, let's go back to the beginning. Say, I, I take you. I mean, it was that painful. And basically, he got out. I take you to be my wife. It's good enough. Let's go to the next thing. I don't know if they're even legally married, but we're like, good enough for me. Sign the wedding certificate. It's good. And it is memorable and special in all of the wrong ways. But fortunately, they can laugh about it, you know, some five years later now. But still, they had no idea what they were getting themselves into. There's really no way you can prepare for a life with another person. You, you can do the best you can, but then at the end of the day, you learn by experience. You learn you have to work on your wedding. And, and here's the thing that I want to, to just help us understand today. The Bible has a lot to say about relationships. The Bible has a lot to tell us about marriage. And some of you would say, it's 2,000 and some years old. How can it speak into my context today? It's a religious book. Does it really have stuff that I can learn about relationships Yes. Yes, we'll see that in a few minutes. But I need to give a couple of disclaimers first of all. I'm a pastor, not a counselor. 
Sometimes people want to come and, and they talk to me about their marriage problems, but I just say, you know, warning shot across the bow, I'm a pastor. And I'm probably a little bit more on the prophet side of being a pastor. So I see things as black and white. And sometimes, you know that old Bob Newhart show? He listens to their problems and then he says, Stop doing that! Session's over. <laughs> There's a part of me that, 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 that unfortunately just says, Hey, this is what the Bible says. Do it. So that's my disclaimer. I'm not a counselor. However, if you were to come and sit down and talk with me and say, hey, there's some things I need to talk about. There are usually some themes of things that I say. Hey, the Bible says this. Hey, the Bible says this. And if you were to believe this and if you would begin to obey this, I'm not saying it fixes everything, but maybe, just maybe God would begin to work in your life and in your marriage. And as a staff recently, we've heard a ton of stories about marriages in crisis. And we've prayed for you, not by name, we've prayed for marriages in general. We've prayed that God would strengthen you, God would unite you, God would give you the courage to walk through the tough times that some of you are in. We know of single people who are struggling with the idea of marriage and say, do I want to be married? Do I want to get married? And if I do, then who? And here's what I hope for all of you. I hope that you can experience God's best. My hope, my dream, and my desire is that you could experience God's best. That you would make wise decisions with your life. And whether you're a single person choosing who that is that you will marry. That you would make wise decisions to set yourself up and your spouse up for the best life possible. Or whether you're already married and you could say, here's some decisions that I can make that my family, that my, my wife, my husband and I can have the best life possible. I hope that you can have that experience that as God wants you to have. So take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And this is just by way of introduction, but, and this is also for those of you who think the Bible doesn't say a lot about relationships. I just want to real quick say, yes, it does. Here's an example. And then we'll dig into um, some, some points of application. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is very interesting. And just to set a little bit of context, you have to understand the, the culture that the Apostle Paul is writing to here is the city of Corinth. Corinth was known for its debauchery. Corinth was known for the signs leaving town that says what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. You know the kind of place I'm talking about, right? You've been there, haven't you? It's a whole, that's a whole other sermon. But it's that kind of a place where anything goes kind of a place. And so when the church began to be birthed and sprout up and Christians were living in Corinth, the Apostle Paul wrote them many times to say, hey, watch out. Don't let the city, don't let the culture influence you in the wrong way. So in chapter 5, he calls somebody out and he says, you, you call yourselves Christians, but there's something going on in your house that you should be ashamed of. So the Apostle Paul calls them out on things very, very um, in your face, very bold. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, Paul says, Now for the matters that you wrote about. They had written him a letter, and this is 1 Corinthians, it's his response. He's responding. It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, but since immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. Now some of you husbands just said, I have found a scripture memory verse for the week. I'm quoting that one. Don't go so far, so fast. Paul is saying here, there's something going on in your culture. I want to call that out. I want to address that. And I want to say, don't do this. 
And I want to say, if you're struggling with this, marriage is an appropriate answer, avenue. But there's these struggles that are going on, and he says, but there's also a God-given provision that I want you to follow. Skip down to verse 7. Paul says, I wish that all of you were as I am. What does that mean? He's single. And he's saying, I wish that all of you were were as I am. He's saying, there's nothing wrong with being single. Singleness is not a less than state compared to marriage. There's nothing wrong with that. He says, I wish that all of you were as I am, but each one of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift and another has that. Paul even goes so far in in a few verses later to say, I would prefer that you would stay single because if you're single, you can serve God without distraction, wholeheartedly. Married people have concerns, spouse, family, living in the same house, single people. You can serve God wholeheartedly. You've got a gift. Now, verse 8, now to the unmarried and widows I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. He says there's a litmus test. There's an issue of self-control. That's sort of a litmus test. Should you stay single or not? If you have self-control and you're not burning with passion, Paul says maybe that's a test that says you, you can have this gift of singleness, even if only for a season. But if you're struggling deeply, maybe, just maybe, that's not your gift. Verse 17, nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. And this is the rule I lay down in all the churches. So I said, I just wanted by way of introduction to say this, to read this. And here's what Paul says. If you're single, don't seek marriage as if it's some magic formula to take away all of your problems. I tried that. It didn't work. Now, let me, let me explain what I mean by that. I thought getting married, and when I found Holly, I would get married, and all my problems would just poof. If you've been married, you raise your hand over 25 years, you're like, you're foolish. You don't get married, and all of your problems just poof, go away, do they? No, you have somebody living with you to tell you what they are. <laughs> you have somebody to say, hey, wait a minute. You know what you just did? You can't do that. Ah. Oh. If you're married, Paul says, don't seek to not be married. He says, learn in the situation that you're in, the situation that God has called you to, how to serve God from there. Okay, disclaimer for now and the rest of the message. This doesn't apply to those extreme cases of things like abuse. Paul isn't saying be a doormat and lay your life down and... Put yourself at risk and your children at risk for some crazy person to do stuff. It's not talking about those extreme examples. He's saying, you know, in the, in the I can't really say the normal, in the struggles of life that aren't those dangerous, life-threatening kind of things, here's a rule that Paul lays down in his churches. And, and here's what Paul is saying. If you're single... You can serve God. You can experience fulfillment and satisfaction in who you are and who God has called you to be because our satisfaction and meaning is not defined by a relationship between a man and a woman. 
If you're married, you can find fulfillment, satisfaction, and meaning. Even if your marriage is rocky because our fulfillment and satisfaction is not based on the relationship between a man and a woman. There's a, there's a heavenly vertical component that Paul is saying. That's the one that brings identity. That's the one that brings fulfillment. That's the one that brings meaning. And that's the one, this relationship with God, that redefines all of these relationships, even between husband and wife, even between friends. It redefines all of those relationships. So our marriages or not being married are not dependent upon our circumstances and our situation being good in order to be good. We can still be good in Christ. So I have people who sit down in my office and they want to talk. And, and I just felt a passion, a burn to just say, even though this is a different kind of a talk, I wanted to be able to address, here are some of the things I say when people come into my office. And I wanted to be able to just say, on a, on a grand scale to all of us, I want to encourage you. Here are a few things. First of all is this. Take personal responsibility. Take personal responsibility. When we're hurt, when we're offended, when we're betrayed, we always have this initial reaction to point the other finger. To point the finger at the other person and say, but what about what they did? And them and them and them. And, and, and there's a time and a place for that. But first, first, I believe we have to own our own junk. We have to take responsibility. We say, okay, what is it that, that's going on in me? How do I relate to God? How do I relate to another person? I want to take personal responsibility. Because we know in any relationship, in every situation, there's two sides to every story. And we need to get our hearts in the right place before we can ever move forward. Romans 12, 17 says this. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. The Apostle Paul writing in Romans 12 says, do your part. Do your part and as much as it depends on you, seek to be a peacemaker. He says, don't, he's in essence saying, don't just do what is best for you. Do what is best. Period. Taking personal responsibility is not at all condoning someone else's behavior. It's not excusing other, person, other people's actions, but it's saying, I'm going to start with me. And if I'm trying to even reconcile, if I'm trying to be a peacemaker, but I'm doing it with anger and bitterness and I'm so hurt... How's there ever going to be any kind of reconciliation? I have to first take that personal responsibility and say, I'm moving forward from here with a pure heart and a clean conscience. Taking personal responsibility is also this, James 5.16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. James is saying that when there is sin in our life, taking personal responsibility is me going to another person and saying, I'm sorry for what I've done. It's not condoning their behavior, but it's saying, I'm also going to own what I've done. I'm going to own my own junk, and I'm going to say, I'm sorry for what I've done. And allow God to start healing, and God to start moving, and God to have the room in this situation to do what only God can do. You see, there's... There's some of us even who are, who are single here today. And here's my advice. 
Stop looking for Mr. Right. Stop looking for Miss Right. Be Mr. Right. Be Miss Right. If you start becoming the person that you know God has called you to be, you're taking personal responsibility for yourself. You're setting yourself up to be in the place where you can meet that person that God may have for you. But waiting on them and looking for them and longing for them and saying, if I just find them, then I'll be Mr. or Mrs. Right. No, no. Be that person first. That's taking responsibility to say, I'm not going to wait on them to get my act together. I'm going to get it together now. I'm going to take responsibility now. For those of us who are married, it's, it's saying within that relationship, I'm not going to always wait for that other person to say I'm sorry. If my spouse says I'm sorry, then I'm going to say it. But not until they say it first. Taking personal responsibility says, I will be the peacemaker. I will lead the way. I will initiate peace. As much as it depends on me. Because we know, if you've been married 25, 35, 50 years, you know the three most powerful words in a marriage are probably not, I love you. That's easy to say. I am sorry. That's totally different. And to mean it. So, I think there is this call for us to work on our relationship. Marriage requires work. We know this. You, you, you can't just say I do and then go into neutral. You've got to work on your relationship. But I'm just saying working on a relationship starts first with working on me. It's working on ourselves. Number two, don't underestimate God. And here's my encouragement that I always give. It's never too late. You're not too far gone in your marriage. You haven't crossed a line that is irreversible. For single people, it would be don't settle, don't compromise, don't give up, keep your standards high. Don't underestimate God. And can I just tell you, there, there are some stories that I've heard recently that on one hand break your heart, at the other time they encourage you because there are husbands and wives here at Hillside who are in just very, very difficult situations, but they're saying, we're not throwing in the towel. We're going to work through this. And with God's help, we're going to make it. We're not giving up, and I'm so encouraged. But here's what I usually end up saying. Okay, working through it is going to be hard. The easiest thing to do sometimes when life is hard, when a marriage is hard, the easiest thing to do in that moment is to throw in the towel and give up. But is it the best thing to do? And is it really the easiest thing for the long haul? Because it's an easy just to say, I'm throwing in, I'm, I'm giving up right now. And maybe it is easier for a moment. But my argument is it's harder for a lifetime. And here's the thing that I always try to encourage. Don't overestimate what can happen in two weeks. Don't overestimate what can happen in two weeks. Don't say, well, I said I'm sorry two weeks ago. Why can't we be better now? Like that was like 13 days ago. Slow down. Don't overestimate. There's a lot of hurt, a lot of baggage, and you think it's going to be fixed like that. But don't underestimate what God can do in two years, in five years, in ten years. I've, I've, I've been talking to couples in the past couple years who are just in situations that I say, but listen, five years from now, ten years from now, 
with God's help and you navigate through this season of your life, if you don't underestimate God and you let him reconcile, 10 years from now, you'll look back on this six months of your life and it'll feel like a flash and you'll, believe, you'll say, I can't believe we went through that. And you will be stronger than you ever were before because God would do a work that you can't believe right now. But will you trust him? And don't think he's going to fix it next week or the next. Keep walking step by step by step. And then two years from now, you'll look back and say, I can't believe we've come so far. Don't underestimate what God can do. Ephesians chapter 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Don't underestimate what God can do. He is able to do immeasurably more than all that we ask or imagine. And his dreams for our life, his dreams for our relationship are greater than our dreams. And some of you who are single, you may be here and, and you're saying, but I mean, I'm single. How long am I going to be single? I mean, I'm getting old. I'm almost 28. How long do I have to wait, God? Here's my encouragement to you. Just a little longer. Don't underestimate God. Don't give up. Don't compromise. Don't settle. Wait. Trust God knows what he's doing. Number three. Jesus specializes in reconciliation. Jesus specializes in reconciliation. So here's the question. When your marriage is in trouble, where do you turn for help? If you find yourself in a crisis moment, where do you turn for help? A relationship that's gone bad, who do you look to for help? 2 Corinthians chapter 5. What I'm doing with some of these passages, these are things we've studied in the last couple of months, and now I'm bringing them back around to say, let's apply them specifically to marriage. 2 Corinthians 5, we read this verse last week actually, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. So here's what we know from Scripture. We know that God um, chose to bring humanity, men and women, boys and girls, back to himself through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, his death on a cross, his resurrection, reconciles us to God. That our sin, the Bible tells us, separates us from God. But we're brought back to God In Jesus Christ, reconciled to God. And he says, for those of us who have been brought back to God, reconciled, we've been given, he says two things, a ministry of reconciliation. To be peacemakers. We've been given a message of reconciliation. And the message is very simple. God was in the world reconciling humanity to himself through Jesus Christ. So guess what? God can reconcile Me and you, or me and you, when things are hard. When there's a fracture in a relationship, 
It doesn't mean it's the death knell for that relationship. Jesus specializes in reconciliation. So when there's a problem in our relationship and and when we're trying to work on it, who do we turn to for help? You have the option. You can turn to that problem and you can say, I'm going to focus on this problem. I'm going to work on this problem. I'm going to try to overcome this problem. And that may help by focusing on the problem. Or you can turn to that other person that, that you're trying to be united to. You say, I'm going, to, I'm going to just turn to you, work this out with you. We're going to, just don't, let's don't focus on the problem. Let's focus on us. Or the gospel says, focus on Jesus. Focus on what he's already done. And as you focus on him and you understand he reconciled you to God, even though you didn't deserve it, you'll say, you know, this person doesn't deserve necessarily my forgiveness or my grace but because Jesus has given me grace I can then give them grace you can say this obstacle that I had between me and Jesus my sin that separated me he didn't forgive me because I earned it and it was in, it was nothing that I could overcome on my own so this problem over here that I can't overcome on my own He can overcome as I focus on him, as I seek him, as I go after him. He specializes in reconciliation. You don't have to throw in the towel. You don't have to give up. If you would begin to seek him, maybe, just maybe, it would give him room to move beyond your wildest expectation. Now, here's the deal. You take responsibility for yourself. You can't make somebody else do the same thing, but you take personal responsibility for yourself. And you pray that they do the same thing. The rest of that passage in 2 Corinthians verse 20, it says, We are therefore making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And I just remember being in some sessions where where the person wanted to keep talking about the problem. And I said, stop talking about the problem for a minute. Let's talk about Jesus. Or they wanted to talk about the person. I was like, hold on for just a minute. Let's not focus on the person. Let's talk about you and Christ. Let's start there. Do you understand his reconciliation? Do you understand his grace? That's the starting point for you and I ever experiencing reconciliation. To overcome our problems, be reunited with those whose relationships have been fractured. And then realizing every relationship for those of us who are Christians has been redefined by our relationship to Christ. So some people then say, for the fourth one, just, we're not going to put it up on the screen quite yet. Some people say, love is more than a feeling. It is a what? Did you think choice? Yeah, maybe. Here's my question. If you are in a broken relationship, you've got pain and hurt and betrayal, and somebody says, you, you don't feel love, that's okay. Love is a choice. Just choose to love. Does that help? Or does that just pile more guilt on you because you're like, I just don't even want to love. I don't think I can love. Now I have to feel guilty that I don't love. I'm not sure it's a choice. I think love is more than a feeling. I think it is a response. It's a response. 
And even when I can't choose love, even when I can't muster it up within me to say, oh, I know I'm supposed to love them. I'm just going to love them. I'm going to try. But I don't feel like loving them. I can do what John tells us in 1 John chapter 4. Again, we read this verse a few weeks ago. And John writes in verse 7, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And it's as if John is saying this. He's like, there are times where, where you're struggling with this concept of love. Here's how I want you to define love. Here's how I want you to identify love. God is love. How did he show his love? God showed his love by sending Jesus as an atoning sacrifice. It means he didn't do anything wrong. He didn't deserve to die. He took our place. He paid a price that our sins made us owe. And Jesus said, I'll take the payment. I'll, I'll take the punishment for them. No, they don't deserve it. No, they haven't earned it. It's grace. I'll do it for them. And when we don't feel like loving someone, when it's hard to choose the loving path, we get back to this place where we are reminded who Christ is and what he has already done for us. And out of a response from understanding his love, we can begin to love others. Even those who have hurt us. Even those who have betrayed us. Even if they don't deserve it. Again, this is not scripture saying you need to be a doormat, put yourself in a place to be abused and trampled upon. It's not that. It's not, it's not saying put your children at risk for the sake of love. It's not saying that. But it's saying if you'll do the hard work of taking responsibility for yourself, the hard work of saying I'm going to own my sin, my part, I'm going to by faith seek God and believe he can do beyond what I dream he can do right now. And if you say I'm going to go to Jesus because he specializes in reconciliation, I'm not going to give up on this marriage. I'm going to fight for my marriage more than I fight in my marriage. I believe Christ can reconcile. And you can say even if you are the party who's been offended been betrayed, been hurt, you can say, I'm going to choose to love. And I know it sounds radical, and I know it sounds difficult, and it is. But it's possible. It's possible because of what Christ can do, has done, and will do, if we trust Him. And I think this is so important for us because there is a battle going on for our families, for our marriages. And you know statistics that are thrown out there all the time, and here's the reality, the statistics of how marriages are, are struggling and fighting and ending is almost identical in the church as it is outside of the walls of the local church across America. 
Just uh, quite a few years ago, the Gallup group, they did a poll and it revealed that among married couples who attend church regularly, the divorce rate is somewhere in the neighborhood of one out of two of every marriage that, that starts in any given year. That's the same marriage statistic as for marriages outside of the church. But listen to this. However, among married couples who pray together daily, the divorce rate is one out of 1,153. Isn't that interesting? All I have is one, one challenge for those of you who are married. Even if there's hurt, even if there's pain, would you commit this week to praying together? It doesn't have to be an hour. It doesn't have to be ten minutes. Would you just at least say two minutes? We'll, we'll just pray together. And, and you can even say, God, I'm angry, but I'm praying anyway because the pastor asked me to. But would you just take a couple steps forward and say, I'm going to fight for my marriage. And it's going to start in prayer. It's going to start by giving this over to God to say, this problem is bigger than I can handle. Even for those of us who have healthy marriages, it's to say, we're praying together because we know we need your strength to make it through. We're going to fight for our marriage. For those of you who are single, to say this week, I'm going to pray. God, help me to be Mr. Right. Help me to be Miss Right. So that when you bring that other person along, I'll be ready. Let's pray. So God, today we acknowledge... We need your help. We need your strength, no matter what the situation of our life. God, I pray for that man, that woman, that young person here today who is single and and struggling with this this, this concept of, I want to be married and I'm sort of waiting to get on with my life before I get married. God, I just pray that you would give them wisdom. I pray that you would give them this peace, knowing that you are in control, that you are good. That you are faithful. And God, I pray that they would begin to say, I want to be the person Christ calls me to be. I pray for the marriages of this church, God, for, for your help, for your strengthening. That we would look to you to acknowledge we can't do this on our own. But God, today, most specifically, I want to pray over those marriages where there's a fracture in the relationship, where there is pain, where they are struggling and things have happened, words have been said, lines have been crossed, God. God, could today be a day of healing, of deliverance, a day of reconciliation, God, where you would do beyond anything we can do. Would you deliver? Would you heal? Would you bring restoration today? We know that you are able because we look to the cross. We know that you are able because we look to an empty tomb where Christ 
has died in our place, has graciously laid down his life for us so we can lay down our lives for others. But he didn't stay in a tomb. You brought him back to life. You conquered death. You conquered sin. You can conquer any obstacle that we face today in Christ's resurrection power. So we pray. Break our chains. Heal our lives. Move today. In Jesus' name, we ask.